Yeah, I, I used to work at a bank. Literally, without a doubt, the worst job I've ever had. Not because it was at a bank, but because it was some of the worst people I've ever worked with. I mean, it, it was like the Mose Eisley bar. You know, <laughs> you worked at the Mose Eisley bank. Exactly, Mose Eisley bank. You'll never see a larger collection of scum and villainy than you know at Tarrant <laughs> Bank. It was it was awful. I was I was out of college. And I, actually, I was doing a little bit of night school at the time, but I was like finishing up my last three hours. So I was working at the bank and I was looking for a full-time job. And I went and interviewed and they said, yeah, you know, uh, we can't start you full-time, but, uh, you know, within a month, we'll, 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 you know, have you at a full, you know, 30 plus hours. I'm like, okay. And the question I asked, you know, because I'd never worked in a bank before. Prior to that, I'd worked retail and I said, you know, what's the dress code? What do I wear? And I was wearing a pair of Dockers and a sweater that day. And they said, oh, what you're wearing is fine. Okay. Time goes by. And, of course, they don't make good on their promise to make me full time. I'd been there, you know, 90 days and I was still working part time, which at a bank particularly sucks because you don't get paid for the bank holidays. Mm-hmm. There's tons of bank holidays. So if you're part time, you know, fuck you. But the way they made it up to me, this is very generous of them, we'll let you work Saturdays those weeks. You know? <laughs> so, so, yay! Thanks. <laughs> well, uh, one day, the, one of the VPs comes in, and he sees me, and he sees what I'm wearing, and, and you know, scowls and makes a comment to my boss. And my boss calls me over, and they said, hey, uh, you know, VP guy over there, he'd like you to wear a belt. And those were back in the days I didn't wear a belt. I was, you know, a much smaller Aaron. And <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I'm wearing what I wore the day you hired me. And you said this was fine. Because, yeah, yeah, but he'd like you to wear a belt. And so this is where I turned into Dick Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, well, you know, you guys haven't made me full time. Belts are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I, I see belts all the time, and you know, they're they're, they're quite pricey, and they they became very uncomfortable with this line of discussion. And they said, well, how long do you think it would take you to save up for a belt? And I said, probably a month. And they're like, okay, so month comes, you know, and as as the day is approaching, I'm like now, I need to remind you, tomorrow, you're supposed to be wearing a belt, and I'm like. You know, that's great. You know, I've been shopping around. I think I found a really nice one. (laughs) (laughs) So the day that I'm supposed to be wearing a belt, I come in. I want to paint you a picture. Wearing a pair of Dockers, penny loafers, sweater, and a belt with a great big silver rodeo belt buckle. (laughs) The back of the belt says Mike. (laughs) (laughs) And they tell me, you don't have to wear a belt anymore.
Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. I am stuffed to the gills with turkey and pie. We, uh, at our Thanksgiving dinner, which we had at the in-laws this year, we had turkey, we had mac and cheese, like homemade mac and cheese, and then there were green bean casserole and like six different sides. Mm -hmm. All I had was turkey and mac and cheese, twice. (laughs) I just, I was like, I, I had my sights set on them, and I ate them like a like a pig it was delicious <laughs> the the <laughs> traditional mac and cheese i believe that was one of the dishes that the indians brought <laughs> <laughs> i think so as well you and call it mac and cheese we call it easy mac <laughs> <laughs> so i have a question does anyone actually like green bean casserole because every year somebody brings a green bean casserole and no one ever touches a green bean casserole ever yeah, i don't know why I was people the, keep bringing it I was the only one who didn't touch it. But apparently, green bean casserole is what you ask the person who doesn't know how to cook That's to right. bring. Yeah, because it requires two cans of green beans, a can of cream of mushroom soup, and some of that fried onion stuff. See, if they just leave it out and make it the green beans, it would be better. And then they don't even have to cook that. Wayne, just send me your green bean casserole. I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> yeah, FedEx it overnight. Now, <laughs> you know, my wife made a uh, – uh, she made homemade cranberry sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, I am hardcore, and I know Jeff Parker frowns on such things. You know, I'm a hardcore. You know, my cranberry sauce has to be shaped like a can. I, I have to say, you know, we had them side by side, and while the the homemade cranberry sauce was very nice, prefer the stuff out of a can. How, how, how do you know what type of cranberry sauce Jeff Parker likes? Because on Twitter, he was he was fussing at people who. Uh, uh, weren't making their own cranberry sauce. Ah, you know? gotcha. And I was reading him on Thanksgiving Day, and he had a whole diatribe about it. And I'm like, you know, Jeff Parker, you know I love you, but you're wrong. Ocean Spray <laughs> cranberry sauce shaped like a can so you can you can slice it. Um, that's the way to go. And you put that mother right on top of your – you got your sand, you got your piece of bread, you got your, 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 your turkey, you got a little bit of cornbread dressing, and then that relish got, cranberry sauce goes right on top of there. Next part of the sandwich. You got, you got yourself some eating there. It's There's just something <laughs> unnatural about canned shan food though. No, it's unnatural but so right. It's better <laughs> living through science. Uh, here's, here's another uh, pro tip from me. If, uh-huh. if I, if, if, this is a cooking in general. If I take it out of a can and or put it in a microwave or put it in the oven, I made that. (laughs) Nobody else did that. I did. Before that, not edible. So there you go. Make your own. I did. I took it out of the can. Prepare by Tim. (laughs) I smushed it down so it's not in that can shape. There you go. Tim is the next Food Network star. You set that on two minutes. <laughs> In four episodes. This is pizza. This is raviolis. This is mac and cheese. This is ramen noodles. <laughs> and the, the Thanksgiving special. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend when you put that in the microwave, put a couple of fork holes in the top of the cellophane. <laughs> two minutes on high. <laughs> now, the key to microwaving a hot pocket is slow and steady. <laughs> And while we cook this, we're going to pound a couple beers. That's right. <laughs> I'm afraid to hear how you cooked your turkey. It, it was called a DiGiorno pizza. <laughs> yeah. 
And maybe if you followed me on Twitter, Wayne, you'd know that I had a five cheese stuffed crust DiGiorno pizza. For I follow you on time. Twitter. I just read Twitter. Well, now I've told everybody. That was my <laughs> Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. And it was glorious. We typically glorious. do two dinners. We do one with uh, the wife's family, and then we do one back at our house. And the one for our house, I got a uh, got a turkey, put it in the smoker midnight the night before, smoked it about nine hours, and pulled it out, and it was just absolutely beautiful. That sounds good. So, turkey over at her family, dry as every year. <laughs> I, I got so that's why you have a separate Thanksgiving dinner. You're like, we're gonna have Thanksgiving dinner here, but it's gonna suck. So we're gonna do our own after, like stopping at Wendy's on the way back from someone's house. <laughs> well, normally, normally we bring my family up and we do the dinner with my family here. But my parents were off in Kansas City with my uh, my sister this year. So this year really was that was really the case. It's a we're going to go over there and have that Thanksgiving dinner. Well, I want a good one, so we're going to do our own, too. You are a Thanksgiving snob, Wayne. It, well, you know, it's uh, it's Wayne's spiteful Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner is my favorite meal of all time, though. Turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing. You can't get better than that. What, what kind of stuffing do you make, Wayne? Uh, this year we just did stovetop. Usually we tend to just do stovetop. Are, are we really having a stuffing conversation on a comic book podcast? Well, you know, it's important. I'm, I'm hardcore cornbread uh, dressing, so I was just trying to see, you know, what Camp Wayne was in. Just trying to find out, Paul. Just trying to find out a little bit about people I podcast with. God! God! Christ on a bike. Let's talk about some comics. <laughs> you sure you don't want to talk about stuffing more? Because I do have strong stuffing feelings. I don't, like I don't want stuffing. to know about your stuffing feelings. <laughs> I don't like wet stuffings, and I don't like it shoved in the bird. Oh, my God, it hurts. It hurts so bad. (laughs) That one was for you, Paul. (sighs) So, (laughs) I don't don't want a podcast anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, wow. So, have you guys heard about this infestation thing from IDW? Speaking of wet stuffings, <laughs> God, um, I have not. No, I don't know. I the best part is, I don't even know what IDW is. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> IDW is the company that currently publishes GI Joe, Star Trek, Transformers, Ghostbusters, um, a couple of other books. I mean, a lot of other books. They're they're kind of, I think, the number three top selling publisher right now. So, yeah, a lot of that has I, to do with uh, Star Trek. Yeah, well, I mean, all these licensed books. Yeah, but I mean, the, um, the, the Star Trek books moved huge for them last year, and I think that really changed their place in the in the market. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, I got this little ad in my uh, comic book bag this week. So you know how we said Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, you know, know how to do a crossover, right? You know, because the the Thanos imperative was awesome. Well, they're doing a crossover for IDW called Infestation. And it crosses over from G.I. Joe to Star Trek to Transformers to Ghostbusters. And it features zombies. It is a zombie crossover through all those different licensed properties. Paul, I think you just hurt me by telling me that. I think I'm (laughs) physically in pain just from hearing that. I have a nosebleed. (laughs) <laughs> he says it with excitement. <laughs> I have a nosebleed. Well, apparently there's a comic book published by IDW called uh, Robots vs. Zombies or something like that. Right. 
And apparently the Robots vs. Zombies universe is going to infest these other licensed property universes. So I, I don't think we'll actually see Transformers in the Star Trek universe, but I'm assuming we'll see like a similar bad guy or a similar theme throughout the books. And it's being marketed as a crossover. That starts in January. Yeah, I was going to say, is that more like a theme? Like, I uh, that'd be okay if it was like, okay, every book this month is going to have a zombie feel. That That's cool. And if you want to, like, put a tagline on all of it to tie them all together, yeah. that's neat. But I certainly don't want to see Captain Kirk piloting Optimus Prime or anything like that. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Captain Kirk driving Optimus Prime through space. I just want to see Egon on the on the deck of the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think they cross over like that. I think it's, you know, there is an infestation number one and an infestation number two that bookend the whole thing. Uh-huh. But um, I, I guess it's just, you know, either zombies or a central villain throughout the piece that hops from universe to universe. I don't know. But, I mean, with Abnett and Lanning in charge, I, I might actually at least pick up infestation number one. I Give just tend to hate licensed properties crossing over into comic properties. I'm always reminded of uh, there was a Star Trek X-Men crossover once and just oh, how bad that bad. really was. It was pretty bad. You know, and the, the sad thing was is that the artwork was beautiful in those books, but the story was just hideous. Spock is just like Wolverine. What? <laughs> it, it, it made my head hurt. Well, you know, Spock is the most logical at what he does. And what he does <laughs> is not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know there was like i think a thundercats uh justice league crossover or something like that when thundercats were being published by well Wild. but that's organic i mean that just that that crossover oh. right itself <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it uh let's just end this conversation it's going to be interesting to see how they pull it off without it sucking yeah and i think but, they have a shot at doing it because those guys are good writers but boy does that sound terabad at this point <laughs> Terabad. Yeah, but at first, it starts on January 26th with Infestation number one, so I'm going to give it a shot. I will let you know in a month, in two months' time, if it's any good. Well, you know, I think I'll at least read the Star Trek book, and I'm over on the IDW site now, and I see that there's going to be two issues of it. Looks like there's two issues of all of them. Yeah, with the, the, the two bookend Infestation books. Paul, you're like our special forces guy. Anytime there's a situation that the rest of us don't think is ideal, we send you in. You're like yeah. our Marines. Well, what, what Paul, I, <laughs> check it out. Yeah, go forth. Paul, go forth and ask IDW if they'll give us free press copies. That's what wow. I'll do. <laughs> Hit it, Paul. Done. <laughs> Booyah. So, well, yeah, then maybe, we'll, then maybe everybody will take a stab at it then. We'll get a good mix of opinions. <laughs> I don't Next think week. I'd read that on Paul's computer, let alone my own. Next thing you know, Tim's wearing his Transformers Infestation Star Trek crossover T-shirt. He's all in. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, it I Spock so hard on Energon. Oh my! <laughs> yeah. IDW actually has a, done a really good job with some of the Transformers stuff, and I do like the company. I like some of the stuff they've printed. This just doesn't sound good, though. I don't know. I'm interested. I'm curious. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Well, so, I tell you, I tell you what was incredibly good, and I'm so excited about was uh, the Young Justice one hour premiere that was on uh, on Friday night. Yeah, I actually I, really dug it. I was surprised how much I liked it. 
the animation was terrific. Uh, best TV animation I've seen in a while. Um, I, I was very pleased with it. Are we the only ones who saw it? I think we're the only ones who saw no, it. No, I, I watched it, too. Would you guys? I, I didn't watch it. I would have if I would have realized it was on, but I didn't. Say if you read your Twitter. Yeah, or, you, you know, know, the website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you read ideologyofmadness.com, you'd know. What did I think? I, I thought it was. It looked very much like the same people that did the Justice League cartoon, and that was an awesome cartoon. Mm-hmm. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I like the characterization, too. I had no Aqualad was such a badass. That's the same Aqualad that's in uh, Brightest Day right now. And I'm like, huh, you know, I'm not going to buy Brightest Day, but. <laughs> no, no one with Aqua in their name should be cool. He was cool. He actually was pretty damn sweet with his little, I don't know, he had some type of weapon thing that. No, I dug it. I I really enjoyed the characteriza- characterization of, you know, Robin and Aqualad and, and Kid Flash. Uh, I love that Superboy is going to be in this. I'm a little surprised that we're not getting Wonder Girl. I, I'm that, that's the the one choice that I'm I'm a little confused about. Have they given an origin for Superboy? Yes, I'm in fact, curious that's, if they're going to change it. That was the uh, the first episode was uh, the origin of Superboy, and it's Cadmus, and he's a clone of Superman. Perfect. Yeah, they they didn't say anything about DNA of Lex Luthor, but they never did. They didn't at first with. Uh, you know, in the comics either. Yeah, so. I'm sure that's a reveal later on. Spoiler! <laughs> <laughs> no, she wasn't in this. No. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but Miss Martian was. I, I, I like me some Miss Martian. I Not really me. like Miss Martian's character. I mean, I I wish I enjoyed Teen Titans book more because I would I would pick it up just for her character. I am curious, you know, because they weren't specific on who the secret identities are of this incarnation of the team, you know, is it, you know, Tim Drake or is it Dick Grayson? Is it, you know, I, I think that it's Wally West and not Bart Allen. That's correct on both. Uh, it's actually, no, it's, it's Dick Grayson and Wally West. So we're going to so have, gonna ha- it's going to be kind of, kind of interesting to see the, the friendship between Dick Grayson emerge with Superboy because you know, in the in DC, regular DC continuity, it's the friendship between Superboy and Tim Drake. You know, I kind of like how they did it on the Teen Titans cartoon, where they never actually said which Robin it was. Yeah, where you never you never knew for sure. I mean, he behaved a lot more like <laughs> more Tim like Drake it. than he did Dick Grayson, but they never said. Yeah, yeah he but, sort of did this one too. Yeah, I mean, but you know, with the the Teen Titans cartoon, they had you know the flashbacks to the whole death of his parents that kind of hinted that it was dick grayson ah so uh, with this i don't know i mean what i've read is that it's dick grayson but he does act a lot like tim drake and honestly if that's wally west kid flash then the the adult flash sure doesn't act like barry allen no and i was thinking the same thing but the the kid the kid flash that we see doesn't seem like bart allen but you know of course it's a whole different interpretation than the the tv producers are going to give us what they want to give us so I'm, I'm trying to embrace the, the, the new vision. But I, I got to say, my only disappointment with the show, and it's just because I'm a sucker for the character now, is that it seemed like it would have been a prime opportunity to introduce Damian Wayne Robin to some, something else. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I'm on board. Because when do I get to vote to have him killed again? Because I want to no vote way. to have him killed. 
You had to watch to get a vote, and you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you got to show up to vote, Wayne. Got to show up. <laughs> right. You know, so that leads me into Teen Titans 89 this week, you know, with Damian Wayne and the, the rest of the Teen Titans. What would you guys think of this issue? I know we, we read 88. You know, we had good feelings about the story, but mixed feelings on the art. I'm warming up to the art. I thought the art was good in this in this book. I, I didn't have some of the uh, concerns that I had in the previous issue. I think the, the the penciler is is warming up to these characters. Damian Wayne, I'm starting to move up but up my top ten list of uh, favorite comic book uh, characters. I love this book. <laughs> I'm starting to get my Teen Titan geekiness back. I'm so happy. This book was solid, awesome. I I loved it. I I, I every the whole team is just transfixed by this little 12-year-old kid just telling him what to do. And they're like, how do we even approach this situation? It's <laughs> Well, and I got to say, my favorite part of Young Justice was the fact that Beast Boy and, Rat- and uh, what's-her-face, uh, Raven, weren't on the team. Because, yeah. man, every time they show up in the book, I'm like, just focus on somebody else. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's my yeah, and Damien even said that. <laughs> he basically, my, the words that came out of his mouth, I'm like, oh my god, he's, he knows what I'm thinking. Because he tried to get rid of Beast Boy. I'm yeah, like, I love that. You know, the only the only joke that I see is Beast Boy, and my first order of business as leader will be kicking him to the curb. We'll call him if we need a talking chipmunk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did. I, I liked the book. I, I thought the writing was right on. I enjoyed, you know, the I enjoyed where the characters are going. I dug it. Yeah, and uh, I was reading in a couple of months they're doing a crossover with Red Robin, so I think that that'll be pretty interesting. So I, I, now seems to be the time to uh, to jump back into Teen Titans. Yeah, I, I think it's on the right track. Yeah. It's only been two issues, but they've been two very good issues, and mm-hmm. I, I, I venture to say, you know, J.T. Cruel, you know, is doing a bang-up job, but the injection of Damian Wayne really kind of sells me on this book. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at the different approach to this title, um, you know, because this is a, this is a relaunch for Teen Titans in terms of, of story and trying to bring people back on, very much like Green Arrow was a relaunch. Uh, and to bring folks back in. Um, and the story is moving so much faster in Teen Titans than it is in Green Arrow. I, I think that's because it's outside of the whole Brightest Day thing. Mm. Absolutely. That's a good I, point. I, yeah, he doesn't... I, I feel like when they gave him Green Arrow, they told him that the first year of his existence is going to be tied around that park in yeah, yeah. Central City. So, I mean, it's it's... We're gonna give you this. We're gonna give you a sandbox to play in, but you only have this corner. So oh, he's not moving real fast because I mean, how how much is he gonna run out of ideas when he's limited with this stupid white lantern tree? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I Teen Titans was was awesome. I, I'm glad to be back in, and I'm glad that uh, somebody capable has, has got the team because I'm enjoying it. So am I. Now. This was a big week for me for a couple of books, one of which was Batwoman number zero. So very excited to see J.H. Williams III uh, draw on this character again. If you'll recall, I think uh, the um, 
detective comic story that Batwoman was in ended uh, seven issues in, and it was originally going to be a 12-issue run with Greg Rucka. Greg Rucka, of course, has left DC Comics, and so now we have uh, J.H. Williams III is doing both the writing and the arting. I thought this book was great. Yeah, um, I read it as well, since uh, you know I knew Tim wouldn't. Oh, but I was no. a little... <laughs> I was hesitant because I read that it was a three ninety nine book, and flipping through it in the comic shop, I'm like, this is only sixteen pages. Mm-hmm. But luckily, it was only a two ninety nine book. Mm-hmm. Still a bit much for sixteen pages of actual story. Yeah, I think you know to get new people interested, they should have dropped the price to two fifty or two bucks. Yeah, I think uh, two bucks would have been a more fair price. But I got so much out of the book, I didn't. Uh, I didn't balk at the two ninety nine. It's not just J.H. Williams doing the art. He splits art duties with Amy Reader, yes. who does um, the Kate Kane sequences, whereas J.H. Williams does the Batwoman stuff. I got to say, I, uh, I liked how that worked. Yeah, I thought it worked well. And I would venture to say, to keep the book on time, they probably should keep it at that type of, you know, that, that type of splitting the duties. Because Amy Reed, you know, Reader did, did a very capable job. On oh, yeah, the, I liked uh, her pages story. very much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the I thought it was a great way to bring char- uh, people back to this character um, because the, the, the concept of the book is that Batman, Bruce Wayne, is spying on Batwoman to find out about her. You know, you know, is Kate Kane Batwoman? What, what's she up to? What's her level of training? Is she somebody that he can work with? And or is she someone that's going to cross the line? And I just thought it was a really nice way to bring folks in. Yeah, I you know, and it's similar to um, I know nobody read those Bruce Wayne Road Home books mm-hmm. of the May. I think Tim read a couple. I read and, a couple. Uh, and Wayne, I read the Batgirl one. Wayne doesn't count, but oh, um, Batgirl doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, it, it's similar to that in that you know he's following them around, doing some testing. You know, to, to to kind of see if they're capable, and uh, you know, I thought it was really well done. I think that would, I think that's the perfect way to approach introducing this character into a new series. Yeah, because you know, people, you know, the, not many people know Batwoman. She's had limited exposure. I mean, a lot of exposure in the media, but you know, limited exposure in you know just a few comic books. Yeah, really. I mean, you're, you're talking so about you're saying her. you want to see her naked. Yeah, yes. sure. She's a redhead. <laughs> well, you want to see if the carpet matches the drapes. Good point. Good point. I dug it. I, I, I really think that, uh, that they've got a good handle on the characters. One of the things that I enjoy about the way J.H. Williams draws her is she seems a little crazy. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, the smile on her face, like particularly on that first page, it's almost a Joker smile. You know, she just seems like, you know, she 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 might be a brick short of a full load, you know. Well, and that's kind of the way she's always been characterized. You right. know, I've never seen her as a stable mentally yeah. character, you know. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there's that moment where Bruce is like, oh, God, she's going to cross the line, you know. And she I mean, mm-hmm. she just goes right up to it. Totally dug it. Totally yeah. dug it. This book, it's a beautiful book. And again, uh 16 pages of, of fresh story did not bother me that it was a 299 book. Um, I, I, I felt there was a lot on the page. Sometimes you can spend 299 with you know a full 22 pages and you're done in five minutes. 
and I didn't have that that experience on this book. I, you know, I felt like it was a it was a full deep read. I got a lot out of it. There's a lot of character, a lot of character for Batwoman, and some for Bruce as well. You know, it was nice to see. You know, because I'm not getting to experience you know Bruce Wayne in his own books. Um, it was nice to see Bruce there. You know, yeah. I, I enjoyed those pages. I enjoyed the preview pages for what's coming up. Those are those are just beautiful pages that, that they have illustrated there. So yeah, absolutely. I I, I will have to say. Um, Dumb move on DC's part, though. Issue one of Batwoman doesn't come out until February. I think they released Batwoman number zero to coincide with the whole relaunch of the Bat books. Well, and maybe to uh, spur solicits, you know, pre-orders. I, you know, I keep forgetting that. So you're yeah. probably right in that. It just kind of seems like um, I, I hate it. Just like with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, remember that yeah. that they released the zero issue like three months. Yeah. And I, you're right. It is probably to spur orders for for the actual first issue. But uh, well, and and like Young Justice, you know, we saw the the one hour premiere on Friday night, but the new series doesn't start until January, a month and a half from now. Yeah, it just you know. it bugs me because I get all hot and bothered. Yeah, you know, I, I get blue balls. Yeah, you're all boned up looking for a good time. Yeah, and and then I find out she's a lesbian. And you just go work it out in the shower, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go work it out with Justice League Generation Lost number 14. You're not reading it. You're not no. reading Justice League Generation Lost number 14. <laughs> and you know what, though, Paul? That is your loss. Because uh, Wayne and I both know the sheer awesomeness that Justice League Generation Lost issue number 14 was. And this week had your favorite character, Damian Wayne, in it, Paul. That's right. Uh, it did. Not enough. Not enough. There was There was a lot of pages with Damian Wayne. Of course, he's a hundred and some years old in this book. And he's Batman. Yeah. Using nice. the Lazarus pit. Ah, so this is one of those future tales, huh? Yeah, it was good, too. You know, I'm kind of tired of the future tales, the bouncing around in time. But this was really good, anyway. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed I enjoyed the seeing the future Justice League. You know, uh, I, I like that. It was kind of interesting, you know, because they'll they'll, sh- they'll show like you know Batman, Damian Wayne, and then they had Red Hood, Thomas Grayson. Who's this Thomas guy? I thought Shazam <laughs> was a stupid name for a character, though. So like, why would a character with the uh, with Captain Marvel's powers call itself Shazam? Shazam was the wizard. She's no wizard. I yeah. also like that their Plastic Man was a clone was of the original. Your- and couldn't take a full human form. I like that. I like that. Well, and you know, Black Canary, descendant of Hawk and Dove, and uh, you know, Black <laughs> <laughs> African American Canary. And then there's Martian Manhunter. Just yeah. Martian Manhunter. Who, who's special. looking a little worse for wear. You know, he doesn't look, uh, you know, as spry as he used to be. You know, I, I love that you look that good when you're that age. That's true. <laughs> oh, and I love the I love it. It's the creeper part cyborg, still crazy. <laughs> See, I really like the implied stories here too. Yeah, I did too. Because they're talking about you know Superman's been off planet fighting the Green Lantern Wars for fifty years. Mm-hmm. Well, who's the Green Lanterns fighting? Us. That was great. I, I I I really dug it, and we get to see the moon blow up. I like how it tied back in with the last time we saw him jump forward in time, where he's seeing that yes, that future is future still. Is- being created and it's his fault all right so i have to ask a question because it's bugging me now because i like you know i've I've read a couple of stories where damian wayne is batman Mm -hmm. 
Can I pick up this book without having read other Justice League Generation Lost and enjoy the future storyline? You can. I, I honestly, I, you know, you you won't obviously get some of the impact for the ongoing from the ongoing storyline. But yeah, I do think that this more so than any of the other Generation Lost books is kind of a standalone story. Yeah, because with these time stories, basically Captain Adam is thrown forward in time, and he has no he idea has what's, no, going, what's on going on any more than the reader does. Yeah. So you don't so have you don't a have a life story. Yeah, so I, I think you could absolutely do that, Paul. Well, I think I might do that then because, like I said, I've read a couple of stories with the future Damian Wayne Batman, and uh, I've enjoyed all of them. So, yeah, the, you know, the thing that's interesting to me about Justice League Generation Lost, as well as it's telling this very uh, continuity tied story, you know, it's very tied to continuity. It's also fun. You know, I'm really getting a kick out of these books. We we've moved past those initial kind of staggering steps into this story where Wayne and I were complaining about, well, that one was good and that one sucked. You know, there was odds and evens. And, I mean, we're now into this, you know, constant string of just very enjoyable stories with these characters. You know, I know we've got another, what, 12 issues before this is done. I really hope we get to see something roll out of this where some of these guys can move back into a regular monthly or at least a, a, an ongoing series of miniseries. Because these, these books have been very enjoyable. And i got to tell you, Jed Winnick is really writing some great stories here. Yep, and apparently he must have something against Power Girl because he does like to beat her up. Well, who doesn't like to beat up Power Girl? Uh, and Spanker, I'd really like Yeah, I was, I was about, I was about to, to clarify. Because she's a naughty, <laughs> naughty Power Girl. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Paul has been going on and on about the amazing Spider-Man, you know, that, uh, now being written by Dan Slott for the, uh, big time story arc that's going on. And so, you know, I decided I'll, when I was at the comic shop, I'm like, I'll pick up 648 and 649. And I haven't been a regular Spider-Man reader in probably 10 years. And I got to tell you, best Spider-Man story I have read in forever. Um, I am stunned at how well-pegged Dan Slott has this character and am even more impressed at uh, where he's taking him and the the characterization of his supporting cast. I have harassed Paul recently about how excited he's been about Spider-Man and now I get it because Dan Slott's got this down and uh, Humberto Ramos is doing an amazing job on the pencils. These books are both beautiful and enjoyable. I, I, I literally I was I was I was sitting there reading uh, Spider-Man 649 yesterday and was laughing out loud and in uh, one panel emotionally moved fantastic books paul thank you for recommending them see no, i no, keep no, picking no, no, them no, up no. in the store and looking through them and i keep putting them back because i hate that art style uh, the art style is really killing them for me no matter how good the writing is i i can't make it past the the smell check on the rack uh, I, I, I love the artwork on the books yeah you, ramos you are, is an acquired taste you are not taste. off the hook paul you're not uh-uh. off the hook no because I bought this book not because you glowed about it, because you know you glow about anything that's pretty crappy. No. <laughs> I got a tweet that said "Big B I G" in capital letters, "Death" in Spider-Man 649, and I'm like, "A big death? Well, I haven't picked up Spider-Man in ten years." 
to me, a big death would be somebody I'd, I would know. I, I, I don't know anybody in this book other All than right. Peter Parker and Aunt May. Spoiler warnings on. The Hobgoblin died. Yeah. No, the original Hobgoblin. hobgoblin. Was, no, the original Hobgoblin was Ned Leeds, right? No. No, they, they yeah. retconned that a long time ago. Mid, late 90s. I hate everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, I I think if you had read 648, you would have felt that a little bit more because I read these back to back. And 648, you've got you know hobgoblins uh, meeting with the kingpin, and it's this great meeting with the kingpin where uh, uh, they're you know getting his assignment and and whatnot, and you 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 have a sense like okay you know this is the guy who's going to be the big bad. For these next upcoming stories, and so you're you're ready for that. Okay, let's do it. This is on, and then he dies the very next issue, in a rather gruesome. He ain't coming back from that kind of manner. Yeah, in a in a surprisingly violent way. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, and 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 that's right after yet another scene with the kingpin. And I mean, I love this scene with the kingpin, where you know. Uh, the kingpin says, if you're going to traipse around the city like a hobgoblin, a source of mischief and destruction, it shall be as my hob- hobgoblin. Is that understood? Sure. Say it. I'm your hobgoblin. <laughs> I, I just I, – and I was like, okay, you know, this is where we're going. And, and it was just a very clear path of story, which, you know, it, it seemed rather linear, but – it was one I accepted and I was, I was into and I love, you know, he comes in and he's got all the equipment that Norman Osborn left behind and then bam, he's dead. I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And um, not only that, who killed him? You know, I, I know not many people followed the, the exploits of the good Green Goblin. There, there was a good Green Goblin for a while who was Ben Urich's nephew, I yeah. think. Yes, nephew. Uh, yeah, Phil Urich. And apparently he has a sonic scream. Or you know, like a like a black canary type thing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I didn't follow it either. But I guess he's fallen on rough times, and and he's the one who takes over the new hobgoblin role, mm-hmm. which That's I thought was kind of cool actually, because that character played a big part in Spider Girl, the alternate future yes. version of uh, you know Peter and Mary Jane's daughter. He was there as the Green Goblin for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, I like some of the ideas that they set up. I like the fact that there's this underground Osborne movement, yeah. that they get the Green Goblin tattoos and things like that. I, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm loving this book. I really am. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I, I, I know Wayne's not digging the art on it, but I thoroughly lo- enjoyed the art in this book. And I've had some Umberto Ramos uh, concerns in the past. Like, I think he was drawing uh, Crimson. Yes. Back in the day. And I just – I didn't care for that. And I also didn't care for when he was drawing uh, Impulse, you know, the whole big feet thing that he had going on. But mm-hmm. I like his take on Spider-Man. He's made Spider-Man his own. And I like the way he's drawn his supporting cast, particularly like how he is depicting Aunt May. You know, she, yeah. she's she's not all, you know, frail and, and uh, uh, you know, helpless. You know, she looks like she's kind of got it going on. You know, I I just I I really enjoyed this book. I'm in. Did Aaron just say that Aunt May's got it going on? I think I'm a little <laughs> disturbed Aaron, by that. Yeah, Aaron said he was a she was a gilf. So <laughs> <laughs> wait, so I have to ask Tim. You know, yes, okay, you were disappointed in the death or whatever. 
Did you enjoy the book? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of in Wayne's camp with the art style. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it, but there I I like the writing. There was a, definitely some laugh out loud moments. Like fashion tips from the black cat was friggin' awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and, and you know, I I kind of like what they were setting up with like the magnificent seven scientists or whatever the heck was going on there. That was sort of interesting. Yeah, and that so, the, there's a seventh mysterious science scientist who I'm, I'm curious who that is. Yeah. Um, and you missed last issue, but they set up a brand new Sinister Six also, which Sinister Six is. I love the Sinister Six. They're one of my favorite villain groups of all time. So, yeah. you know, I'm excited about that. Well, kind of on the fence. I, I there's a lot of good going on, but there's some things that I don't know if I can get over. Over. So I guess we'll see. Now, is the is the artwork your barrier, or is there another barrier for you? Well, the artwork's the barrier, and then I was annoyed at Paul for sucking me into this. <laughs> <laughs> that but is I'll get a over huge that death, though. That's what my wife says about our marriage too. <laughs> I was a little annoyed that you suckered me into this. Oh, that was a huge death. I thought that's what she said. All right, so well, and and I had I had mentioned that there was a moment that that I was emotionally moved by, and it was when May takes you know walks Peter to work on his first day over at uh, the Horizon Labs, and you know there's that moment where she you know he, he says well you know I'll call you later and tell you how, how it all went, and he walks off, and she says well you'd better. And she flashes back to a memory, and I thought this was beautifully done. They had, you know, a, a an image of present day May, you know, as penciled by Umberto Ramos. But then they they set in a memory of her, you know, talking to Peter when he's you know saying, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna have to quit high school and get a job so I can pay for us." And she's like, "No, no, you're you're you know, you got to go and you, you're gonna be a scientist someday, yada yada." And it's the actual Ditko art from those early uh, Spider-Man stories. And I just I, that was so effective, and I was just like, yeah, you know, we we've, we've been there along with Peter this whole time. This is actually what Peter should have been doing. Peter is a scientist. You know, his his origin concept is that he was a scientist, and he's gotten derailed this whole time of not getting to go do super science kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see that part of him. I'm I, I'm I'm really really uh, into this. This is this is my vision of how Spider Man ought to be done. And it's a, it's smart in that you know they don't have set hours. Yeah. You know, they, you know that that was one thing they established. They don't have set hours, because I loved when Peter became um, a school teacher, but you know they they kept having to make up excuses as to why he wasn't there, and then they said, well, you know, he has to get fired. There's no possible way. Yeah. But here, you know, with no set hours, he could just show up whenever the hell he wants to show up. Yeah. You know, and he's got the vault to hide a Spider-Man suit. It's just a perfect setup for that character. Now, you know, he is he is part of the Lucky Seven, which are, you know, the big think tank guys who have their own secret labs inside the Horizon Labs. And, uh, you know, are, are, you know, they get to come and go as they please as long as they're you know producing. We don't get to meet the sixth guy because he's, you know, completely anonymous. I'm assuming this is going to be some Spider-Man villain. Yeah, I'm thinking probably Dr. Octopus. I don't know any other scientist Spider-Man villain. Right. That's currently on the boards because Kurt Connors is full time lizard now. Right. So should be interesting. Should be interesting. He got Benny's going to full time lizard. Like before, <laughs> he didn't get dental. So like, well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna upgrade it, I might as well embrace my uh, darkness. <laughs> and he didn't have to wear the rodeo belt, so you know. 
uh, now you have to keep that in, Aaron. <laughs> so, Paul, I, you know, as I was saying, thanks for bringing me in because this was great, and thank you, Dan Slott, for writing Spider-Man the way he ought to be written. And I think next month it does go back down to two ninety nine. Oh, really? Um, which is good because it's a bi-weekly book. Yeah. Is it going to stay two ninety nine? Well, as far as you know, looking at you know upcoming prices, I think it was just this first month they had extra sized issues. Uh-huh. Um, but I think they're going to regular sized issues going forward at two ninety nine. And it was they just do- because they knew Tim was going to buy it, they upped the price for Tim. Well, yeah. and I gotta say that you know six forty eight and six forty nine were big books. There's a lot of story in both of those books. Yeah, nice chunky reads. Yeah, that that might make my decision. Well, and uh, price, we'll see. You know, because it's a biweekly book, you can't get you, you can't get someone who can do a biweekly book consistently. Right. So they do alternate artists, not every month, but each storyline. Um, so I think they have three artists. You know, that will alternate. You know, they'll do a storyline and then come back. Two storylines later, um, but the next artist uh, on the rotation is Stefano Caselli, who was the original artist on Avengers: The Initiative mm-hmm. and uh, books like that. So maybe maybe that'll convince Ooh. you because his art is great too. Yeah, because like I said every time it comes out, I pick up Amazing Spider-Man right. and I look through it on the rack as kind of a smell check. If the uh, if we see the art like the old Avengers uh, Initiative, I would pick that up in a second because I want to like Spider-Man. You know, I used to do uh, back when there were, you know, four or five different titles. I picked up all Spider-Man books. Well, at least you only have to worry about one now. Did I break the podcast? I think you did. Shit. No one can figure out how to yeah, transition, transition from that. Yeah, that's why we keep talking about Spider-Man and not moving into Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you Fantastic know, Four. Yeah, <laughs> you know, last week ended, or the last uh, issue of Fantastic Four ended with Reed Richards having a uh, you know rather intense conversation with Galactus, and we pick right back up there. Uh, again, I, I I'm gonna you know. Jump on, uh, you know where 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 we left off last time. Thoroughly enjoyed this book, uh, loving the 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 conversation with Galactus, loving where things are going, and hey, some undersea action with Prince Namor. I think I had a geek as I'm reading this book. Yeah, yeah, it was all of the uh, all the Galactus stuff where you get to see his uh, basically his home again. You get to uh, see the conversations with Reed, the whole background of, well, here's what happened. And it's kind of a, a very quick, yeah, a future you was killed to, uh, to bring people back here. All of that was great. And, you know, I was and, reading, you know, I was reading thinking, a book thinking this is a, this is a really, really solid, solid book, really, book. really good. And then I get right to the end and it just pushes it over the top. Yeah. I and mean, you've got uh, – and this is big spoilers if anyone hasn't read it. Sue has gone to all this trouble to set up the meeting between the new Atlantis city and Namor, trying to do you know the diplomatic relations thing. And Namor agrees to it and is all nice and peaceful and walks into the council and then starts killing all the other kings because they dare call themselves kings. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I, it was, I was blown away on that page, and it's completely in character, too. Oh, yeah. But I didn't see it coming. I mean, I thought that because Sue had brought him there, that he was really going to do the dip- diplomacy thing. And no, he no. just starts killing him. I had an inkling that things were going to go bad when he was so uh, accommodating to Sue. 
you know, when he said, you know, uh, uh, oh, where is it? Here he goes. You know, very well, I'll agree to the to this to the arbitrary conditions you have set forth for the summit. And you know, the, the, his uh, attendant, his uh, you know counselor, is you know surprised by this. I'm like, mm, eh, I see bad things. <laughs> I I dug it. I'm really enjoying uh, the Reed Richards and Galactus, and Galactus scenes. Those are terrific. Those are terrific. Lots of lots of fun. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, a, I mean, while, for a while this battle was starting to drag, but it's definitely back on high action. There's things are happening in every page, and all of this has been built up from basically the first issue that Hickman took over. Yeah, I mean, it's been one big build the whole time, and things that seem to be throwaway story points keep coming back. Yeah, and I, and I, I'm very intrigued by uh, you know the sermon by the anti priest. We all share that core dread, that small, still voice coming from the older, primal place in our minds. We are all dying. I have been sent here to tell you that death is not fate. It is a choice. One I offer to all of you. <laughs> and then we find out that you know these guys are minions of Annihilus. Pretty freaking cool. You know what else was cool that you should have picked up this week, Aaron? What's that? Astonishing Thor number one. You know, I flipped through it, and uh, I put it back, not because it, it didn't look great, but that I just figured I'd grab it and trade later on. The artwork on this book is absolutely incredible. I was totally blown away by it. It's it's not what I normally expect from a uh, superhero book. It's more of the you know high-painted, looking very beautiful art. You know, I had no intention of picking up another Thor book. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I, I've had a lot of Thor. And after dra- dropping the Fraction Thor, I was down to just Thor for Asgard. And with all these other Thor books coming in and out, I was like, you know, I think I'll just finish out Thor for Asgard and wait for something that's worth it. But I picked this up because I picked both this up and Thunderstrike, which we'll uh, get to later. And I I couldn't put this one down. The artwork was just too pretty. Like, the story itself... It was all right. It wasn't anything, you know, earth-shattering, but, oh, this is a pretty book. Except for it being earth-shattering. Well, okay, fair. (laughs) Other than the fact that Ego the Living Planet is being a big pain in the ass again. Well, and I like that we're seeing more about Ego here. We find out who created Ego. We see, you know, return of old characters that we haven't seen in years. So I was jazzed by the art, and uh, I, I think it's a, it's a solid book. And I don't know if this is going to be a – I'm assuming this is going to be a mini-series. But. You know, I was wondering the same thing. I don't know if this is mini or ongoing. I hope it's ongoing because this is what the regular Thor title should be. It is just – it's beautiful. The story, I think, is going to be good in the end. There's a lot of nostalgia for – not for the old Norse myth like some of the other titles – but for the actual yeah. history of Thor in the Marvel Universe and the history of the Marvel Universe itself. That and it's a big it's a big story. It is a you know, it's a clima- it's a it's a big climactic situation, which has been missing in the Thor books recently. Hmm. Yeah, and we're we're reminded of how powerful Thor really is. He's getting ready to strike Ego a living planet, and he's remembering, Oh hey, I've done this before. I can stop him. Yeah, I'll give him a love tap, knock yeah. him out, wake him, yeah. and then he'll realize that you know maybe I can actually uh, take him out. Blah blah. Yeah, it was kind of cool. 
dang it, now I got to pick up another freaking Thor book. Yeah, <laughs> you've, you've got to pick this up, Aaron. I mean, if you're wanting a good Thor title, considering the main one has gotten really bad. And they canceled you, my Thor the Mighty Avenger? Yeah. Yeah. This is the book you should be picking up. <laughs> Let it go, Aaron. Let it I, go. Yeah, I'm not going to. <laughs> well, I tell you what, another another book, my one of my favorite books they canceled many years ago was Thunderstrike. And Thunderstrike number one came out this week. I was so excited. Um, I really hadn't read much about it online and was thrilled to see that uh, uh, the creative team from the original Thunderstrike, uh, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, returned to uh, write and draw the book. I, 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 I had such a gigantic boner walking out of the comic shop this week. I, I, literally, this was the best week in comics I've had in probably a year. I mean, like everything I read this this week was fantastic. Um, and Thunderstrike, I, I, I loved it. I loved it from beginning to end. And so it gave you a four hour erection. It sure did. It sure did. And then you know I had oh. to you know call up the Dick Wrangler to uh, <laughs> you know, squeeze, it, squeeze it soft. soft. How is the associate that should not be named? <laughs> <laughs> Except Paul just named him. I did. I did. I, I yeah. You know, everybody was thinking it, and almost everybody said it. <laughs> uh, now, Tim, you read Thunderstrike. Uh, no, no, I did, I did not. not. Oh, I thought you picked, oh, I thought it, you up. picked it up. Well, I, well, I, I, was, I, I looked through it in the store. In the store. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I, 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 I guess, I, I guess the reason I didn't pick it up, pick it up was that it looked very much the same as it did in nineteen, you know, ninety-eight uh-huh. or, or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I thought to me the art was a little outdated. Mm-hmm. I guess, in my opinion. And so when I was looking between that and Astonishing Thor, it wasn't a, it was an art choice. Like I, I, I don't, I, I kind of like the character too. And so I put it, I put it back. I went back on Friday, and I was gonna grab both of them so we could talk about it, and it was all gone. Yeah. So well, apparently people were digging it. Well, and I certainly did. Um, and I agree with you that the the art does seem a bit nostalgic. It seems a little bit retro, you know. Um, but it, that made me enjoy it all the more. Now, I hope that they're going to do things to draw in new readers because I don't want it to get canceled again. So, you know, if artwork is the barrier, I'd like to see them, you know, make some adjustments there. But I dug it as it was presented. Um, I also enjoyed the depiction of uh, of Steve Rogers in the book. In fact, I was very amused that every time there was a close up on Steve Rogers, his face looked very much like it was drawn by Jack Kirby. Uh, and and that, that tickled me a lot. So I have a question. Um, is this based – because I don't know what happened to Thunderstrike originally. Okay. Is this based in modern Marvel continuity or yes. in the Thunderstrike continuity of the 90s and 2000s? Present-day continuity. Um, okay. This is a return of, of the Thunderstrike character to the Marvel Universe. At the end of the first series, Thunderstrike sacrificed himself to save New York. And um, his son he, – he left a son – who then you know went to go live with his mom and you know stepfather. Um, the son has had some some problems growing up. He uh, uh, is rather down on heroes because you know the Avengers weren't there to save his father, whereas his father was always there to help out the Avengers. So he, while as a child, he very much worshipped like 
you know, Captain America and those guys. But now he's like, you know, what what good are you? If you can't be there to save my dad, you know, who was a real hero, why what good are you? And so, you know, he actually blows Steve Rogers a lot of attitude. And Steve Rogers, you know, gives him Thunderstrike's Mace, you know, which they had been analyzing and trying to figure out, but you know, weren't having any luck with it. They give him Thunderstrike's Mace and, you know, before you know it, he's turning into Thunderstrike and, you know, fighting crime. Really a very enjoyable book. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, of course, for for those people who don't know who Thunderstrike is, and I I realize now that I probably should have explained this before the review, um, Thunderstrike was uh, originally Eric Masterson. Eric Masterson was one of the humans who bore the guise of Thor when Thor was working construction back in the day. When Thor re, uh, you know, split from Eric Masterson and you know, went on to continue being Thor, Odin gave you – know, was so impressed at the heroism that Eric Masterson had. He crea- had Thunderstrike Mace created, much like Mjolnir, um, which turns Thor into Thor. This turns Eric Masterson into Thunderstrike. So there you go. Now, segue Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else was really good this week? <laughs> wow! It doesn't work. It doesn't because you were like, "Oh, Thunderstrike is great." Blah 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 blah. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Um, um, Thunderstrike was great. Segway, Paul. You know what else was great this week? <laughs> no, what, Paul? <laughs> Uncanny X Force number two. The, the the tale of the suckiest covert team ever, because two issues in and they keep getting their asses handed to them. Yeah, well, in their defense, it was the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse that did it this time. Yeah, but you and know they've got Wolverine on their team. Wolverine can defeat an army of vampires. I'm sure he could take on four little horsemen. And they have Deadpool as well, who's taken on who knows what. I mean, Deadpool is really good in this book. I mean, they've got the comedy aspect of him, but it's not too over the top. Like sometimes Deadpool just gets too slapstick. They've managed to capture him as a as a as mark. a mark. But still be funny. Yeah. You know, uh, Uncanny X-Force, at least this first storyline, the premise is that they're a covert operations team. They're even hidden from Cyclops at this point. Um, that is, they are seeking out Apocalypse. They, they Apocalypse has been reborn, and they are seeking him out to basically kill him before he can do anything. Um, and so as we start the issue, we see that Archangel... You know, who is, you know, who has had history with Apocalypse in the past. They are training in their danger room to kill Archangel should he turn against them. Well, and what I like is Wolverine specifically says they're teaching Betsy to kill all of them. They're just starting with him because he's the obvious first choice. Mm-hmm. That kind of blew my mind. Blew my they're, you know, they're conditioning her to be able to kill any one of them. Yeah, I mean, and um, so they they follow a lead. And they end up fighting some of the horsemen on the moon, um, and they, they they get their asses kicked, um, as you might expect, since they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But I, I, I am loving this book two issues in. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a lot more has happened than just two issues worth of books. I mean... Yeah, it's moving it's, at a nice pace. You know, that doesn't happen in comics nowadays. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're getting a, a good a bit of story. It is moving at a good pace. You know, I'm lots of action. You know, Paul, I'm going to have to call you out a little bit. 
Because I, I heard you say Cyclops earlier. You apparently yes. didn't get the memo. Uh, Scott Summers wants to be referred to as Tactical Jesus Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> Tactical Jesus. Yeah. All right. Tactical Jesus is unaware of the formation of this X-Force team. Um, they've even set up um, – it's revealed that Warren, Art Angel, Warren Worthington, has set up um, Cavern X, I think is what they call it, yep. which is basically a, a time capsule um, featuring – it's kind of like the X-Men Batcave. He's been saving like, you know, things from their battles and and uh, pictures of all the different incarnations of the X Men, and so they're living in that. They're training in that, and um, you know that it's just it's a lot of great ideas. I'm I'm really enjoying this, and I think so, it's. Oh, go ahead. Since we're also talking about X Men, did you have you seen that preview for Age of X and all of the books and all the previews online and such? I have. I'm. I, I just don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know what they're where they're going at, going with it. Uh, I, I think it's just another alternate universe storyline, like Age of Apocalypse. But they're trying to they're calling it Age of X to to sucker in anyone who loved Age of Apocalypse because of the similar name. Because they're even starting it off with an Age of X Alpha, just like Age of Apocalypse started with Age of Apocalypse Alpha. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't lie. I'm curious. I'm not going to buy it. I'm. I'm I I am evented out right now, and uh, you know I I think most of the books, in fact, most of the books we talked about on this this episode have been outside of any type of event other than Justice League Generation Lost, and I think that's why I'm enjoying my comic books more these last couple of weeks because I'm reading stuff that's not in the event. I think the only book we gave a negative two review to last week was X Men number five, which was an event book. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of enjoying staying out of crossovers right now, and so I think I will avoid Age of X for now. But loving Uncanny X-Force, and the art, what do you think of the art? I love it. It was probably, if Astonishing Thor number one hadn't come out this week, it would have been the best art I'd seen this week. Yeah, this is is a gorgeous book. It's a beautiful book. Um, the art is by Jerome Opeña, who did the um, the art on Vengeance of the Moon Knight, the inaugural Six issues with uh, Greg Hurwitz, and uh, his art just keeps getting better and better every time I see it. So, I, I really recommend picking up Uncanny X Force. I'm getting my X Men fix because it's got some of my favorite X Men characters, um, and uh, you know, uh, I I may drop out of the regular X Men title and just keep going with this one. Yeah, it's giving me everything I was looking for out of the book. You know, I basically picked up the book originally because I saw Betsy and Warren were both in the book, and I like their relationship. And they've they've done good things with it. They've brought back Apocalypse, who's my favorite villain of, you know, favorite X villain of all time. Deadpool's great. I mean, the only thing a character I don't care for is this Phantom X, and that's because I have no idea who or what he is. See, but I like Phantom X actually. I know he's a Grant Morrison creation, but you know, unfortunately, I think he's a little too similar to Deadpool. But um. And I, I'm enjoying him. He's like a smart version of Deadpool. You know, they may be taking on Apocalypse, but nothing is more apocalyptic than the Antichrist. And Wayne and I read Magdalena number four this week. I read it too. And Wayne and I read Magdalena <laughs> number four this week. <laughs> I read it <laughs> Apparently, Wayne and I read, read Magdalena number four this week. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> so what did you guys think of Magdalena number four? 
you know, I enjoyed it, but it's probably the least of the Top Cow books that I read and enjoy. I like the Angelus miniseries better. I like the uh, I like when I'm reading in Witchblade better. I like Artifacts better. But it was still good. It just wasn't great. You know, one of the things that I like about uh, Ron Mars's writing is how well read Ron Mars is. You know, because he'll quote other works within like there's a whole piece in Paris where the street artist is talking to Magdalena about, you know, the, the, the Quasimodo story, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of dug that. Well, then later on in the book, you know, she's down in the catacombs and she runs into the boy and, you know, the, the boy tells her, you know, his name is Anton. And I'm like, huh. And, you know, he, he's, he's basing his name off, you know, Anton LaVey. You know, who wrote the, uh, you know, Church of Satanism's Bible. And then immediately after, you've got somebody saying, do what thou wilt, which, of course, is the the main fundamental of Satanism, which is do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. And I was just and, and sure enough, I mean, the, the story just progresses from there. And I just that tickles me, you know, that he he is so well read and clearly a devil worshiper. You shouldn't read Ron Mars books. <laughs> uh, you know, I was a little disappointed in Magdalena because the coyote would have took that kid down right away. <laughs> like, no, you're not at the bottom of the catacombs because you're lost. It's because you're the son of Satan. You're going down. Die, <laughs> die, little kid, die. No, I, you know, I gotta say, I, um, I actually liked issue four better than I liked issue three. Uh, I think there was a lot more action to it. I felt like the st- story was moving forward a little bit more. Yeah, no, I I, I, I thought it was a good issue. I, I liked, you know, like you said, it feels like the story's moving up. It feels like I don't know if the first arc ends in issue five or issue six, but you know, it feels like it's at a good place right now. You know, I enjoyed taking the time to show her put on the Magdalena costume because when you look at all the characters in Top Cow that have one of the artifacts. The artifacts typically change their appearance, you know, when they come out. This is the, the only character I can think of that actually has to take the time to get into costume. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I think was interesting is that she was all shy about changing her costume, but she leaves her shirt on anyway. <laughs> it's like, come on, you can change in front of the boys. See, Paul, this is where you and the Magdalena have something in common because she, too, values her privacy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when, when she's at Fear the Con this year, she's not sharing a room with anybody. Nope. <laughs> she can share it with me. I will share my No, room no, no, Paul. You value your privacy. You're on yep, your own. Yeah, there's a giddy Bible in there for you, Paul. You take <laughs> care of your business. <laughs> I, I can value some privacy with the Magdalena. She's going to go fun, fight the son of Satan, but we can't see a little boobies. Yeah, come on. What's up with that? I mean, it's only, a, you know, she's only a, a minion of the Catholic Church. I'm sure she could take off her shirt in front of the boys every once in a while. Magdalena gone wild. Now, <laughs> it's a test of their religion. Now, <laughs> you know, it's also kind of funny that, funny that this is the this is only the top cow female character that seems to be completely and totally <laughs> fully covered from, you know, head to toe even wearing a hood to cover herself up, and she's the only one that actually chooses what she wears. She fights for the church. She's she's those are vestments for her. You know those are those are symbols of symbols her faith. Of, you know she's the fighting nun. So <laughs> it makes sense that, that she's a little bit conservative. 
Not to be confused with the flying nun, which Aaron's also <laughs> <a> fan of. <laughs> now, you know, they had that they had that scene in uh, the cathedral at Notre Dame where the <clears> secret <throat> door opens up at the foot of the altar and then they descend into the you know the, the secret uh, uh, sanctuary down below. I would have preferred had they gone into like a confessional and there was like an elevator that drops them down or a bat pole or something, you know. I think that would have been cooler than the secret door in front of you. <laughs> a bat pole. We just want to see the Magdalena strip, don't we? The Magdalena <laughs> <laughs> take the bat pole in the Notre Dame Cathedral. Absolutely. No, actually, I think the at the foot of the altar is awesome because then you can have confessional. And if there's somebody you don't like, you, you can give them the trap door. <laughs> yeah, down into the catacombs with yeah. the, the demon with the sharp teeth. Yeah, you could see you could see you could see the you know the 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 cardinal being like blood of Christ this bastard and pulled a lever. <laughs> <laughs> you go to hell. You go to hell and yeah. Well, and what I love is the contrast of you've got this you know the old cathedral with all this beautiful architecture, and then you go downstairs and here's a big computer lab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the, you know, we're talking about the, the gorgeous architecture on the cathedral. The art in this book, I think, is stellar. Oh, yeah. Totally agree. Um, and, uh, and Nelson Blake the, the second, I think. Mm-hmm. Or is it the third? I don't Nelson know. Blake Nelson the Blake the second. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he was responsible for the character designs as well, but the designs on the Gardunia, I, I thought they were really cool. I, I think you're 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 absolutely right. The the artwork is is fantastic, and I think supports the story very well. Love those those pages of the street artist, you know, where you can see in kind of his uh his his work in in charcoal and whatnot uh, mm-hmm. on the textured paper. I thought those were nice pages. Yeah, I mean, he he did a bang up job, and you know, with a, with a story like this, it seems like it would be easy to go with like a David Finch dark and muddy type art. Um, but I like the fact that it's it's you know it, it's it's got that good mixture. It's you know it's good superhero book art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's clear. You can see what's happening. It's you know really well done. So I, I'm I'm really enjoying this book. A little known fact: all churches, all, all Catholic churches, are wired for Wi-Fi. Every single one. Every single one, right? Even in the depths, because you never know. It's password protected, though. I'll let you know a secret: the password's Tactical Jesus. <laughs> but you know uh, also something to be learned from magdalena if you see a little kid alone take him don't down trust him yeah. just he's shoot possessed. him he's he's probably the antichrist just take him down you know i think we've learned that from comics in general this last week right. i mean x-force had a had a kid too that's apocalypse you know reborn and now we have the son of satan you know as a child i think the general rule is that if you're in a comic book you should probably kill the creepy little kid. I One agree. of the few lessons I learned from South Park is as long as you say he's coming right for us and you shoot, then you're fine. <laughs> you know, and uh, maybe that's what Aphrodite Four to do, should do to Hope in the pages of Artifacts, because it is clear that Hope is meant for horrible, horrible things. That is true. You know what else is true, Paul? That you just went odd about how you were done with crossovers. So now let's talk about a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm done with 
most crossovers. No, that's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, very hypocritical of me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm still picking up freaking the last issues of Shadowland and Curse of the Mutants. I'm just saying that typically I enjoy non-crossover books more. But I have to say about Artifacts is that it's a crossover, but it's not actually crossing over into the books, the respective books. It's not like I have to buy a billion tie-ins to enjoy the story in Artifacts. True. So Artifacts number three, which we didn't talk about last week, and uh, Ron Mars yelled at us Yeah, on Twitter. <laughs> he said, you, you sons of bitches reviewed fucking X-Men number five, but not Artifacts number three. The large gold statue of Ron Mars, his eyes glowed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the god Khonshu told us that we had to review this book this week. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you guys think of Artifacts number three? I didn't like it. Is I really? Wow. End of discussion. Yeah, I I I loved it. I thought it really progressed, the, progressed story. the story. I I gotta say I don't feel I feel like you know the the big finish of number one, and I don't feel like there's a, a discernible difference between issues two and three. It's a pacing issue for me. It was I just an Oliver like Stone that. movie, Aaron. Yeah. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. <laughs> and I think maybe if I was reading them all back to back, I'd have a different experience. But, you know, for, for a book that's separated by at least a month between each issue, it, it just it, it isn't moving fast enough for me. I expected me to be further along in the story by issue three, and I'm just not there. See, that to me was the whole purpose of this issue. You know, it had moved a little slow with issue two. So issue three is all about setting the stage and engaging every, every player, player together. So – that's what they essentially did. We've I, seen I get all that. the major players. I get that. I just wish that it hadn't taken three issues to do it. Um, I wish that it had been that we had seen, you know, half of the good guys in issue two and half of the bad guys in issue three, and you know, I'm sorry, you know, both the good guys and the bad guys in issue two, and then moving on to more story in issue three. For me, it's just a pacing thing, and I just it just didn't resonate with me. Yeah, I don't have any doubts that 4 is going to be really good. Oh, yeah, and I think that collected, this won't bug me one little bit. I just yeah, think that as an individual story, it's just annoying to me. No, I see what you're saying. And then I, you know, I have to – I agree with your points, but at the same time, I enjoyed the book. Yeah. And, um, you know, but I, I do see, you know, it, it is a, a book that comes out, you know, if not every four weeks, sometimes every six weeks. I think it's actually every six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we've had essentially – you know, the first issue, it started off with a bang, and then we had two full issues, which is essentially three months, right. um, you know, uh, of gathering the players. Um, and I think that's because it's a 13-issue series. But, you know, like you said, it might read better collected. It might be re- read better if you read them all at once, that type of thing. But yeah. um, Well, I'm I mean, also I, wondering if we're dealing with something here, Paul, where there is a – there's a big event that happens that happens here. here. With Ian breaking out of prison and getting the sword back and all of that, that's huge. Yeah, but I think you might need to know the history of him to know why that's huge. And you see, and and I am a guy who is completely outside the Top Cow universe. You know, these books are what's that's introducing it to me. Yeah, and uh, Ian Nottingham is essentially the the biggest Witchblade villain um, pre Ron Marsh from the pre Ron Marsh days. Right. Um, you know, he was there from the very beginning. So the fact that he's out of prison and he's taken down one of the good guys at this point, um, you know, it, it is it is a big deal. But you're right. I mean, that from outside from an outsider's perspective, you might not know. I mean, you know that he's obviously bad, 
but you don't know why he's bad. And I'm sure that if I read all that text at the end of the book, that you know I might be more familiar with him. You know, because I, I, you know, there's a lot of you know explanatory text at the end of these books. But you know, I, we've talked about it before. Generally, when I'm in comic book reading mode, I'm really not real interested in reading a great big wall of of text. Yeah, yeah at I, the end they do a. There is a couple paragraphs about all the various characters, and there is something about him in there that does does a pretty good job of summing it up. I mean, it was the storylines with him were huge multi issue things. I mean, right. it had been a big build up, so it doesn't quite it doesn't, cover everything, but it gives you a basic idea of here's why this is a major major player. Yeah. You know, and I I did appreciate that because I did I did read those just because it's like I need a little I, more than one panel on whoever that dark angel shadow grabber person is <laughs> or or whatever you know so I appreciated it. Well, yeah, and you know I read some of it too because like the Gloria Silver I have no idea who that character is that one's brand new to me. Gloriana isn't she the one from uh, Broken Trinity or you didn't read Broken Trinity? No, I didn't. Ah, uh, okay. So I, I was more familiar with her character. So, but um, no, I, I you know I'm in, I'm enjoying it. It sounds like we're a little divided uh, on the book right now. Um, That's right. And, and Paul don't and I me, are right, and the two of you are wrong. And don't get yeah. me wrong. I, I'm not coming down on. I don't like. I don't like the series. It's just Artifacts Three didn't do it for me. But I'm sure that that when I go back and I read them all back to back, I bet I love it. You know, it's just as a single issue divided by when the last time I read Artifacts, which I'm guessing was four to six weeks ago, it didn't work for me. That and you know what? The divide is more, is more about who is who is more immersed in to- the Top Cow universe. True. Aaron and yeah. I aren't and you guys are. Yeah. So I think that might be where the where somewhat of the disconnect is. But I'm just like Aaron. I, I don't think that's going to be bad. I just thought it was a little it's, – it's been a little slow, yeah. this, at least this yeah. episode. Along those lines – Top Cow had a big Black Friday sale at their Top Cow store. Oh, Aaron, I did some damage. Same here. I, uh, <laughs> I, but you know, I gotta tell you, the savings were awesome. <laughs> I picked up, uh, I picked up the the next two Witchblade trades because you know I picked up the the uh, Witch Hunt Volume One for five bucks when it was offered at my comic book shop, mm-hmm. and so I picked up uh, volumes two and three, and I think those were like sixty percent off. Yeah, everything was sixty percent off. So yeah, you know, yeah. and then awesome. and then. And then I grabbed uh, – I've always wanted to read Seth Green's Freshman. I've read like one or two of the floppies. And they oh, had a, I love that. Well, they had a great deal on the Freshman. If you bought Volume 1, they threw in Volume 2 plus the Summer, summer Vacation Spectacular all at 60% off. So I That's paid one 60- of the few titles that I've bought all of the individual issues and then went back to get the trade too. Well, I got the I – got- I got the volume one trade at 60% off, and then they threw in volume two and the uh, Summer Spectacular. So pretty sweet deal. I got something like $60, $70 worth of uh, trades for 29 bucks, including shipping. Yeah, see, I picked up all the $5 trades uh-huh. for 2 bucks a piece. Hmm. Um, I figure, even though I have most of them um, – Keep an ear out to funny books. Yeah. There'll, there'll be a giveaway. <laughs> um, that's why I picked them up because uh-huh. for two bucks, you know, two dollars for six issues. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I also picked up Berserker Volume One, which is Mila Ventimiglia's book, yep. the guy from Heroes. Yeah. Um, I picked up Darkness Origins, um, which are you know the the early tales of the darkness, uh, as well as Witchblade Origins, the, the the early tales of the Witchblade. I picked up the second volume of Ron Mars's Witchblade. Yep. Um, I picked up uh, – actually, I picked up the second and third. I picked up 
uh, let's see. I paid $44, and it shows my Black Friday discount as $66. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome. And, you yeah, know, it, what, I immediately – I was like, oh, wow, if Top Cow's doing this, maybe Red 5 is doing this. And so I went over to the Red 5 site because I'm like, you know, I could deal with uh, some Atomic Robo books. And, of course, they don't have a store. <laughs> They don't. They don't sell their own books. They. They. You, know, you have to go to a retailer or something to do that. But I was, I was, I was so jazzed. I mean, I. It was funny because Thursday night I was like, why aren't the comic sites having a Black Friday sale? You know, because I would really kind of think like Stock Trades or DCBS would have some kind of sale, but no, no, nothing special. So Aaron, since you picked up uh, a while back, you said you picked up the Witch Hunt trade yeah. paperback. The artwork that's in that, that all that beautiful Mike Cho artwork, uh-huh. he he's the same one that's doing the art on Astonishing Thor. Oh, really? That's uh, why the art is art so incredible. incredible. I will go pick up Astonishing Thor. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week, I offered to give away a steaming pile of Batman comic books. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you're jumping uh, the agenda here. Am I? I think there's yeah. one more book on the agenda, Paul. Son of a bitch. Who You're wants gonna... <laughs> to talk about Green Hornet? I need you to squeeze those butt cheeks together, Paul, and hold in that steaming pile of Batman <laughs> just a little bit longer. Aaron, I am prairie dogging. Just <laughs> <laughs> percolate uh, over there, aren't you? <laughs> That's what we call dramatic tension. <laughs> yeah, tension somewhere. All right. I wanted to hit on Green Hornet this week because it's the last part of that first big storyline. And I thought it was supposed to be a miniseries. I didn't realize this was an ongoing. But from what I understand, this should be the end of what Kevin Smith had had written for it. And they're just going forward from there. You know, it wrapped up nicely. And I think I'm probably done with the title at this point. I enjoyed it, but it it wasn't as good as I had hoped it would be. It wasn't great. It was good for the first storyline, but with now that this is done and they're moving on to new stuff with it, I think it's a good jumping off point. I, I do want to make a comment on that, on that. There was an interview with Kevin Smith where he all but confirmed he is not writing the comic book. He is not writing the comic book on a monthly basis. He wrote the script, and Phil Hester is taking his, co- his script and turning it into comic book form. Yep, and that so, was my understanding of it. And what did he yeah. seem to think about that? Did he have any comments about that? No, he said he said he, he does a great job with it. He said he didn't see it as a comic book until he read what Phil Hester, Phil Hester had done with it. Hmm. So, you know, that that's pretty much confirmation that he's not writing the monthly comic book scripts, well, which is kind of what we always thought from the beginning. Well, but, and, uh, and you know, I, I knew that, you know, Kevin Smith wasn't doing it because the book was coming out on time. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's a little unfair to people to put story by Kevin Smith and like breakdowns by Phil Hester or something like that. I think that's a discredit to Phil Hester, who is a great artist oh, and writer in his own right. Yeah, well, but let's let's be fair. Aaron's been busy trying to bust Kevin Smith for pot for two months now. So. Willie Nelson <laughs> got busted for pot yesterday, and why why aren't they getting Kevin Smith? Yeah, he goes out on his own podcast and admits to it. Yeah. We- Examine what you just said. Willie Nelson gets busted for pot. That's like saying that everybody breathed air this morning. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I don't have an argument for that. I don't even think they have to. I think there's a law that they don't even have to find it on him. They can just pull him over and bust his ass. <laughs> All right, Paul. It, it's time. You can let out that steaming pile now. Yeah, I, I can drop. <laughs> <laughs> Unleash the gates of hell and drop the steaming pile of Batman. Um, so I was giving Damn. away. I'm giving away five books. Batman The Return One Shot by Grant Morrison and David Finch. Uh, Batman Incorporated, number one. Grant Morrison and Yannick Puckett. Uh, Batman 704 by Tony Daniel. Batwoman number zero by J.H. Williams III and Amy Reader and Hayden Blackman. And Detective Comics 871 by Scott Snyder and Jock. And um, apparently he can't fucking give away a steaming pile of Batman. Because uh, we only had two entries to the contest. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because you called it a steaming pile. You know, I thought about that. I didn't have a lot of entries into the 100 comics that may or may not suck giveaway either. <laughs> so uh, maybe I need to uh, retitle my contest from now on. Paul is a, Paul is a marketing genius. <laughs> the, next, the next contest is going to be shit from the basement. <laughs> That's stuff, the title. Stuff I can't sell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Stuff I can't sell and I don't want in my house anymore. (laughs) (laughs) These funny books guys are awesome. They keep giving away crappy comic books to us because they don't want to store them. (laughs) Well, spoiler! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... um, we had two entries, and uh, so there was a 50-50% chance of winning, and uh, the winner is actually Sardell. Um, all you guys had to do was tell us who your favorite creative team, or your ideal creative team for a Batman book would be. And he, he said, if I could assemble a creative team for a Batman book, I think I'd go with Jerry Conway as the writer and Neil Adams as the artist. Oh, yeah, you would. So, not only a good answer, but... Uh, you know, the one that we chose, or the one that was chosen at random from two. Um, so congratulations, Sardell. Get in touch with me. You know my email address. Uh, you know our email address. And uh, send us your address, and we will have your steaming pile of Batman out to you shortly. How hard is it to give the right answer? <laughs> it's not Ron right Red answer. Robin. <laughs> oh, Damn right. <laughs> so, Puck Aaron. Out. <laughs> Well, um, we do have another contest coming up for this week. I'm not going to belabor the details here, but suffice it to say, we're giving away a ton of role-playing game PDFs, inclusive of the uh, Weird Wars 2 Player's Guide, among other things. So uh, check out the website on Monday, and you'll see all of that there. And contest will end Friday, December... Third, awesome. And uh, speaking of Friday, December third, uh, listen to our Knights of Rainsboro podcast for our zero issues leading into the big Knights of Rainsboro storyline. Woohoo! All right, good show, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.
don't like it shoved in the bird. 